focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. Our uh, guest, uh, not I should say guest, our, one of our listeners, Besby, says happy Thursday to Sumin and Chihi. Sorry to Besby. We have other reporters joining us in the studio. Lee Ji-sun and Yoon Se-young joining us in the studio. Guys, welcome back. Hello, hello, hello. and hello, Besby. Um, <laughs> sorry for disappointing you, Besby. <laughs> no, we have our uh, super sub coming in, uh, Yoon Se-young, with this. Uh, she had to do the, the news right before and uh, jet over here for our live show here today. But uh, good to see you guys. Uh, one of the things that we've been talking a lot about in the past few weeks, and not months, uh, has been the, the economic front, right? Uh, inflation and so forth. And we always kind of look at the United States to kind of see how things are going to pan out here in South Korea as well. Well, we got re- new reports coming in earlier today. Inflation over in the United States hitting 9.1% in the month of June on year. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I mean, it's not a long period of time that I lived throughout my life, 35 plus years, 36 years almost. But I've never seen something like this. Chisa, let's start us off with the inflation rates over in the U.S. That's right. It has been all over the news and Korea now has dealt it more than I can possibly remember. And yet inflation is still running out this summer. And yesterday, a new report has been released on consumer price index and inflation rose 9.1% from a year ago in June. And this was even higher than what the economists anticipated. 8.8% was Dow Jones estimate and you were absolutely right yesterday about not having seen such high rate because it was the fastest increase since November 1981 so inflation surged to a 41 year high June's inflation is even higher than the previous month by 1.3% and even May's CPI was 1% higher than April and this means that Americans paid more last month for just about every necessity. But let's start with uh, gas prices, of course. Gas prices led the way with about a 60% increase compared to the same period last year. Increased gas prices, it means increased energy prices by 41.6%. And food even at home are maintaining its high prices and they are 12.2% higher than the same time last year. And then we are seeing the highest one-month jump in rents in almost 40 years since 1986, standing at 5.8%. And the prices of new cars also have increased by 11.4%. And we also talked about this a lot, the plane ticket prices. They have rose about 34% last month. And regarding the situation, President Joe Biden said, and I quote, while today's headline inflation reading is unacceptably high, it is also out of date. And he said that it's out of date because of the recent drop in gas prices. A gallon of gasoline last month was over 5 USD, but it has dropped to $3.64 on average as of yesterday. And because of the inflation, many Americans Americans are feeling like they're running out of options. And against this backdrop, the Federal Reserve is expected to keep on its fight against inflation. Last month, there was a three-quarter point increase in key rates, which was the highest in 28 years. But Wall Street Journal says that we can see another 75 BP increase later this month. And some are even saying that we can see a full percent increase. That is ridiculous. Yes, it surely is. And meanwhile, experts are keeping their hopes up 
that prices will fall in sectors such as oil or grains or other food ingredients. However, uncertainty still remains due to many global challenges such as the re-spreading of the coronavirus and the situation over in Ukraine. And with the economic situation in the U.S., the U.S. dollar is obviously it's getting strengthened and it has been affecting the foreign exchange rate over here in South Korea. Uh, three weeks ago, South Korea's one breached the 1300 mark, which is the psychological threshold. And that was for the first time in 13 years during the 2008 global financial crisis. And the 1300 mark again is the level seen during the 2008 global financial crisis and the Asian financial crisis in 1997. And so it has been considered for decades as a sign of major economic crisis. And this, as we all know, has been driving stock prices down for a while. And as of July 14th today at 9.15 in the morning, the Korean currency against the U.S. dollar was 1,306.51, and it fluctuated between 1,306 and 1,308.1. And this is in line with uh, what a senior economist of ING said a couple weeks back. Kang Min-ju said, and I quote, As the year-end approaches, tighter monetary conditions both at home and abroad are expected to have some negative impacts on consumption consumption and investment. I'm telling you, consumption and uh, investment is one thing, and I I guarantee you this is what's going to happen next. There's going to be a huge housing collapse, Mm. all right, because if the U.S. Central Bank is raising interest rates this fast, right, the Bank of Korea has no choice to kind of meet, you know, go the same way because they don't want to see a reversal. Mm -hmm. And when you see the uh, the interest rates uh, skyrocket, and because during the COVID-19 pandemic, when the interest rates were near zero, people were borrowing money left and right and just buying houses left and right, right? right. And so all these people, we talk about younger, you know, Mm -hmm. just even selling your soul to buy these houses. Mm -hmm. Number one, because the interest rates are going on, and I've said this on the show, if no policy is going to bring down Mm -hmm. the housing prices, it's going to be the key interest rates. Once that goes up, it's going to go down. I know places near me, around me, housing prices are already dropping like flies right now, but interest rates are high. People still need to pay off all these debt. It is going to lead to an epic housing collapse Isn't right now. Isn't that what happened during the financial crisis back in 2009? 2009, yeah. I don't yeah. remember what happened. But uh-huh. yeah, I mean, it comes with it, right? When mm-hmm. you have these high interest rates. and Which is why after 2009, some of the houses, the prices that we had, it was like relatively low. It's mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we went through that. And yeah. then it went up again as the economy was getting better. And then uh, obviously when you have uh, low interest rates again, people are going to borrow more money. And then you know more houses are being bought and the housing prices go up. Uh, people are panicking right now. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. are panicking. They're losing. The apartment complex across my street right now, uh, They've. I looked at the uh, the real estate. They lost about $300,000 in the past few weeks. Wow, already. Oh. The prices of the house. And these are people who bought it at the, bought it, a lot of them bought it at the peak, mm-hmm. right? Uh, nevertheless, in the meantime, South Korean finance minister and the head of Bank of Korea leaving for Bali, Indonesia on Thursday to attend the G20 meeting scheduled to be held from this Friday to Saturday. Hey, let's get the latest on this. All right. Um, Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Economy and Finance Chu Gyeong-ho and the Bank of Korea Governor Lee Tang-yong has left Bali, Indonesia Thursday to meet with their counterparts and discuss key economic and financial issues. 
And this year's G20 summit will be attended by representatives of major international organizations such as the International Monetary Fund, the Bank for International Settlements, BIS, and Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, and the World Bank. And as uh, well expected, global inflation will be addressed as one of the most important key agendas. And the participants are also expected to discuss the global economic outlook, WHO issues, improving resilience of the international financial system, and supporting vulnerable countries on the first day of the summit, which is going to be Friday. And on the second day, there will continue discussions on regulations on cryptocurrency steps necessary to prevent promote sustainable finance and green economy, and other pending issues like implementation of new international tax systems. Also, the reason why Chu and Li's uh, participation this year's uh, G20 summit is more meaningful is that for both of them, this is going to be the first time joining such meeting to meet their counterparts in respective countries uh, and the head of the, the central banks. And that's right. Um, this is going to be Bank of Korea Governor Lee Chang-yong's first time participating in a G20 meeting since he took office, and for Finance Minister Chu Kyung-ho as well. And eyes are on what kind of message they are going to address while making debut to international economy at G20 summit. Especially when the um, economic outlook for South Korea is not so rosy. Uh, for example, Wednesday, yesterday, BLK decided to take a big step, delivering a half percentage point rate hike for the first time in history to team soaring inflation and exodus of foreign capital, which will eventually increase the burden on people with the liabilities like we um, talked about previously. And E will step, speak in sessions on the global economy, the international financial system, and the financial sector. He's also expected to stress the need to enhance the resilience of the international financial system, such as the use of special withdrawal rights, SDR, to support low-income countries. And regarding the regulations on cryptocurrencies, he will make remarks on the need to establish a comprehensive and consistent regulatory and monitoring system jointly. And meanwhile, Chu is expected to address the need to strengthen free trade and support balanced recovery between advanced and emerging countries to rein inflation and financial instability. And on the sidelines, Chu will also hold bilateral meetings with the finance ministers of Indonesia, Singapore, and India, and IMF governors to discuss major G20 agendas and trade cooperation measures between the countries in the face of global supply chain disruption. And with the representative of Singapore, Chu will exchange views on strengthening regional financial cooperation and the recently launched economic initiative, IPAF. And they will not have a sideline meeting with uh, their American counterpart because uh, they're set to hold a meeting with U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen next week in Seoul. All right, there you mm-hmm. have it. And of course, as always, when you have these kind of crises, uh, it's always going to be the most vulnerable who are hit the most, right? We're talking about the mm-hmm. everyday people. Uh, for them, President Yoon Sagyar promising to help the people with the debt burden, uh, obviously with so much debt right now with the, the housing market and so what it is, the high interest rate. Uh, Chizan, let's talk about how the, the assistance are going to be coming. Well, SJ, I'm glad that you brought up Yonker because people are actually <laughs> borrowing money and they're actually collecting their souls to invest. But that comes with more debts. And like you said, SJ, it's always, almost, almost always the lower income bracket that takes the biggest blow in economic crisis. Yoon Sagyar, the president of South Korea, has promised to use the government's financial capacity as much as possible to help 
help the low-income borrowers. Today at the president's weekly meeting on the economy, he pledged to introduce policy measures to ease the burden on low-income borrowers and the young people especially. Uh, he said, and I quote, It was inevitable to increase interest rates to curb inflation. However, the burden should not be completely transferred to the people who are the most economically vulnerable. Uh, this meeting was held today, a day after the Bank of Korea raised the interest rate by 0.5% to contain consumer price growth. And this unprecedented 0.5% rate high was the biggest on record. And this is also related to what Governor Lee Chang-yong said yesterday. He said to a news conference, uh, and, and I quote, For those vulnerable facing bigger difficulties, we at the central bank will work with the government to look for targeted policy measures to help them, unquote. Uh, The president today also said that if the government does not help the most vulnerable, the social costs will be inflicted. And for specific measures for young borrowers, he said that he will adopt policies that can reduce the interest of debt preemptively and extend the repayment period. He said that these measures are necessary, especially for young investors in debt. Uh, During the meeting, the Financial Services Commission reported that it would expand a program to help low-income borrowers switch adjustable rate mortgage loans to fixed rate loans at a more affordable rate. Wait, my question is, you're saying for young investors in debt, so the money that was being borrowed to invest in like stocks and cryptocurrency and things like that? Mm-hmm. I don't know about that. I, you know, a lot of people in their early 30s also got a lot of debt to buy housing, houses and real estate properties as well. Yeah, but here's the thing, right? Like no one forced people to buy a house, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it was it was people were buying it, you know, we call it FOMO, right? Fear mm-hmm. of missing out because everyone else was buying houses thinking that I mean uh, the price is going to continue to go up and things like that and if I can't buy it now, prices are never going to be this low. Uh, but housing is different because like because even for me right like it was i was living on rent and because the housing prices were going up and the the landlords like you know listen uh, we, we we can't be giving out this house at this price anymore Mm-hmm. Uh, they said we're going to move into the house, which I think was a lie. Uh, mm-hmm. So some people are forced to kind of like move out. And so they need to mm-hmm. buy a house to, because they don't want to deal with this. But investment, like, you know, buying like stocks. And I know there's been a lot of people borrowing money to buy stocks and cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. I am not sure if they should get the assistance because I, I have always been. Hey, come on. You're borrowing money to try to make money off of something that's so volatile. But we can't really let these young people file bankruptcy. Yeah. Well, no one was going, listen, you have to buy stocks. (laughs) And listen, you have to buy... Bitcoin, you have to buy Ripple. You know, you know no one was doing that, right? And, mm-hmm. and there was also warnings from the government saying, listen, these are very highly volatile stuff here. Don't go out borrowing money and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, going into... I, it, I, I don't know. I, this is, uh, I know where the, it comes from, right? Uh, you know, you're trying to target the 20s and 30s right now who have a lot of debt. But uh, we'll see what happens here. In the meantime, going into other issues, South Korean officials have confirmed that South Korea and the U.S. have been conducting their first combined air drills in Seoul involving the uh, respective F-35A stealth fighters. This for the first time in almost five years. And let's get more on this. 
Yeah, according to the Ministry of Defense on Thursday, the ROK and U.S. Air Forces recently conducted the joint drills in Seoul for four days from Monday to Thursday in an apparent show of force against North Korea's evolving provocations amid concerns over a possible North Korean nuclear test, which is going to be its um, seventh nuclear test if it really happens or other provocative acts. And the drills marked the very first combined training featuring the two countries' respective F-35As since South Korea completed the deployment of 40 F-35As back in January. And the training also involved various maneuvers, including defensive counter-air operations and emergency air introduction. And South Korean officials said that the main objective with this week's uh, exercise was to improve the Allies' ability to carry out joint operations through training and to increase interoperability of the fifth generation F-35A, which is jointly operated by the two countries. And Lieutenant Colonel uh, Ryan Worrell, a U.S. F-35A pilot, also said that the primary purpose with the recent training is to safely execute the tactics between U.S. and South Korean F-35As to show Seoul and Washington's ironclad uh, alliance. And like you mentioned earlier, uh, the recent arrival of U.S. F-35A fighters marks the first public deployment of the U.S. stealth warplanes in South Korea in five years. The last deployment of the fighter jets to Korea came in December 2017 uh, when the two countries conducted their then-regular vigilant ace training. And the dispatch of 35s also followed an agreement from the first bilateral meeting between President Yoon Suk-yeol and Joe Biden on deploying U.S. strategic military assets in a timely and coordinated manner as necessary. We're going to talk more about uh, North Korea, but this is uh, really interesting news coming out of Ukraine because Ukraine officially cut ties, any diplomatic ties with North Korea. Uh, let's talk about why Ukraine decided to do so. Chizan, give us the answer here. Well, on Wednesday, local time, Ukraine, like you said, broke diplomatic relations with North Korea. And this happened after North Korea formally recognized independence of separatist regions in eastern Ukraine. These two regions, backed by Moscow, are Donetsk and Luhansk. Uh, To give you some background information, before Russia's invasion to Ukraine, Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, signed a decree that recognizes Donetsk and Luhansk as independent states. And this obviously caused an outrage in Ukraine. And fast forward to yesterday, Russian state media on Wednesday reported that North Korea formally recognized the independence of eastern Ukraine's Donetsk People's Republic and that North Korea's ambassador to Ukraine gave a document with official recognition. And this makes North Korea only the third country in the world to do so after Russia and Syria. The Donetsk People's Republic's leader said on social media that he hopes for, and I quote, uh, fruitful cooperation and increased trade with North Korea. Ukraine responded quickly and in a statement uh, said that it was an attempt by Pyongyang to undermine the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Ukraine. The statement also wrote a gross violation of the Constitution of Ukraine, the UN Charter, and the fundamental norms and principles of the international law. However, the Foreign Ministry of Ukraine said that this cut in ties will not change Ukraine's international relations with other nations and even went on to say that this has no weight at all. For some, including a former Ukrainian diplomat, this break in ties turned into uh, joke material. Former Ukrainian diplomat Oleksandr Sherba posted on social media, uh, and this is what he said. 
quote, Ukraine severed diplomatic relations with North Korea. In my 26 years in diplomacy, I was never aware we had them, unquote. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, you know, there are few countries, very few countries that have uh, diplomatic ties with uh, North Korea in the first place. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think uh, few people knew that uh, they actually Ukraine actually had any kind of diplomatic ties with uh, uh, North Korea in the first place. But what's interesting is here is, I mean, it wasn't just like uh, what irked Ukraine wasn't the fact that like North Korea just didn't go, okay, so, you know, we recognize the, uh, the Donetsk People's Republic and uh, the Luhansk People's Republic and their independence. They actually had like an official document right mm-hmm. like a certificate mm-hmm. saying that this is our recognition they sent it to their respective counterparts and uh i believe the leader of i think the, the donetsk people's republic uh he basically said and said uh you know through this uh, we are going to strengthen ties with north korea and our trade with north korea is going to get stronger but i'm going to there's sanctions against north korea right now <laughs> and yeah. i was like what trade yeah there know. has to be a trade to get strengthened right yeah, yeah i mean uh, because of sanctions, it's hard to do these uh, trade. But mm-hmm. I mean, there's always loopholes. Uh, that, that's mm-hmm. the thing with like North Korea is they, they always get around with all this. Uh, we're going to be talking about a uh, certain photographs that were released uh, depicting the 2019 repatriation of uh, two North Korean fishermen. Uh, this following their confession to murder. This has been actually triggering a lot of controversy after the presidential office right now called it unhumanitarian. Seung, tell us more about this. Yeah, um, earlier this week, the government released photographs taken back in 2019 at the truce village of Panmunjom during the repatriation of two North Korean fishermen who sought to defect to South Korea. And back in November 2019, two fishermen were captured near the eastern inter-Korean maritime border and later confessed to killing 16 members of their own crew before fleeing to the south. And South Korean government decided to send them back to the North Korea, considering the brutality of crimes they committed and their insincere will to defect. Yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those things where, like, if they were, again, uh, murderers and they mm-hmm. killed their crew, mm-hmm. right, and if they had actually accepted these uh, defectors, mm-hmm. uh, imagine, like, the, the uproar uh, it would have caused, right, mm-hmm. uh, to, to, like, the people were, you know, because they're going to have to be, you know, assimilated into mm-hmm. the, the South Korean society, right? And so it was a very tricky situation right now, and I know that the, uh, the current ruling party right now doing a lot of investigation into whether or not that was... Uh, the, the right thing to do. Uh, but this case, right, I mean, they concluded almost three years ago. But what would trigger this incident to be back in the spotlight once again, though? Well, this incident came to the surface again and is causing controversy as the Unification Ministry released the photographs on Tuesday at the request of the National Assembly. Uh, in the picture, you can see the two North Korean fishermen resisting not to cross the military demarcation line inside the truce village of Panmunjom while being handed over to North Korean authorities. And a day after the release of the photos, the presidential office strongly condemned the previous administration's decision to send them back to the North calling it an anti-humanitarian crime. And now further investigation into the case is expected to continue and even intensify as the presidential office firmly established its position on this controversial issue. But on the other hand, slamming the ruling party for using the issue for political gain, the ruling Democratic Party argues that considering the brutality of the crimes, their attempt to flee after the crime and the way they refuse to follow the 
control of South Korean Navy, it's hard to believe that they were sincere about defecting to South Korea. And they also emphasized that accepting dangerous criminals who brutally killed 16 people would threaten the safety of South Koreans. But in the meantime, the ruling People Power Party on Thursday announced that it will consider uh, launching a parliamentary investigation or an independent counsel probe into this incident, saying that uh, the previous administration administration ignored the law when they should have acknowledged those two fishermen as South Korean citizens when they expressed desire to defect when they were captured under the Constitution. I'm not sure how the Constitution goes, but Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if even if you're North Korean who defects to South Korea, as soon as you touch land in South Korea, you're automatically a South Korean citizen. If you, if you express your desire to defect, you're... You automatically yeah. become a South Korean citizen. You're, Is it that easy? You have easy? to be acknowledged. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I didn't know it was that easy, to be honest with you. Uh, but going back to North Korea, North Korea, unfortunately, with all that's going on right now, uh, it, it's known for their chronic food, food shortages and really has gotten worse ever since, uh, you know, the outbreak of the COVID-19, not to mention that, you know, every year with their monsoon season, it, it wrecks havoc on their agriculture. And uh, to solve that uh, very issue, Kwon Young-se, who's the Unification Minister of South Korea, met with the Executive Director of the food, World Food Program today. She's on. let's get uh, info on what they discussed there. The Minister of Ministry of Unification, Kwon Young-se, met with David Beasley, the Executive Director of the United Nations World Food Program, and this meeting was held in Seoul this morning. And during the meeting, the minister extended his gratitude to Beasley for his continued efforts in helping uh, to solve North Korea's food issues, and is said that the food situation in North Korea requires continued interest of the world. And he also said that the ministry will seek humanitarian cooperation regarding North Korea's food shortages issue, regardless of the political or military situation. Uh, Beasley also expresses apprehensions about global climate change, war in Ukraine, and on the food shortage issue in North Korea. He said, uh, quote, uh, with conflicts, droughts, flooding, climate shocks, COVID-19, and economic deterioration, and now the Ukrainian crisis, it is truly impacting everyone. And the fertilizer issue is definitely impacting the world and DPRK is no exception to that. The last time the WFP was able to offer assistance in Pyongyang was March 2021 and has not distributed food aid to the people in North Korea since then because of the pandemic. Yeah, uh, and of course, North Korea still says, I mean, they're not really going through much of mm-hmm. a problem with the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Guys, we're going to talk about a very fascinating topic here. I love uh, issues like and this. And by fascinating, <laughs> you mean controversial? Controversial, <laughs> but I mean, it's one of those things that uh, I, I've always questioned uh-huh. about, uh, you know, punishments here in South Korea, right? Mm. Uh, because technically there is mm. death penalty here in South yeah. Korea. Mm. My thing is, it's when was the last time it's been kind of, uh, you know, pulled up? I think it was like 20-something years, 25 years ago, I think the last time they had the death penalty. But now they're bringing this back right now for the first time in 12 years. Constitutional Court holding an open hearing on Thursday regarding capital punishment. Uh, Sam, let's get the details of this. 
Yeah, like you said, uh, for the first time in 12 years, the debate on whether to keep or abolish the death penalty was held after the punishment was ruled constitutional twice in 1996 and 2010. Consent from at least six of the nine constitutional court judges are needed to rule the death penalty unconstitutional. And although the punishment is still permissible under the law, South Korea has not executed the death penalty you're right, SJ, for about 25 years since uh, since December 1997. So internationally, South Korea is categorized as an abolitionist in practice. Um, but the debate on the death penalty began again as a man who killed his parents in 2018 filed a constitutional petition with the prosecution demanded uh, when the prosecution demanded the death penalty in the first trial. And then he applied for a request for an unconstitutional law trial, but the court did not accept it. In response, the Justice and Peace Committee of the Korean Catholic Church filed a constitutional petition for the death penalty in February 2019. And currently, the man who killed his parents has since been sentenced to life in prison by the Supreme Court. And the focal points of the debate will include whether the death penalty is contrary to human dignity and whether it essentially violates the basic right to life. Yeah, a uh, very controversial topic for our listeners out there. What's your stance on capital punishment? I want to get your two cents on this. Uh, no one's wrong on this. I think there's never a right or wrong mm-hmm. answer when, when you talk about this. But uh, we're going to take a listen to what some of the experts in regards to this has to say. Chisa, let's first off start off by talking about uh, what experts and uh, maybe some of the citizens believe uh, for those that are for uh, capital punishment, right? Well, personally, as a person who was born in a very devout Christian family, mm-hmm. I believe that the matter of like life and death, and Stray is like so startled, you are actually born and raised in a very Christian <laughs> family. But anyways, I personally believe <laughs> why such issues should be uh-huh. in the hands of like a greater power, uh-huh. I suppose. But I do understand and, the, and I do see why people are for capital punishment. And if we think about return to prison rate and uh, we say this recidivism rate in the U.S. was about 40% last year and even with hardcore rehabilitation programs or like edification programs, it is very difficult according to experts to stop uh, making them commit the same crime and it's very difficult to basically bring down the return to prison rate especially among serial killers and criminals who commit uh, sexual crimes. Mm -hmm. And I hate to even utter this word, but pedophiles. Uh, The society, I personally believe, and the experts say, that the responsibility of the society is to protect the safety of our everyday citizens. And which is why I do understand and which is why some experts are saying that they are for capital punishment. Uh, What about some of the experts and uh, maybe the public in regards Mm -hmm. to kind of going against uh, being opposed to capital punishment? Um, Citizens, including myself, who believe the death penalty should be abolished, says um, first, it should be abolished because um, it is a violation against human rights. And second, we can't live up the risk of executing innocent people, people who had been wrongly convicted. Um, And also, last but not least, the death penalty does not necessarily improve public safety because there's no reliable data or evidence. Um, So then what's the point of the punishment? That's what the the 
citizens or people who believe that death penalty should be abolished say yeah yeah the, the biggest argument and mm-hmm. uh, this is one of the topics that i remember in college that we did a big debate on and mm-hmm. uh, those who are against uh, the capital punishment is the fact that there are also a lot of people who have been uh, falsely accused of crimes, yeah. right? Mm. And then, I mean, there's a lot of cases where they find out because back nowadays, I mean, DNA testing is it, it's mm-hmm. great, right? Like yeah. it's it's spot on. But uh, they found out a long time ago. There's a lot of people who were executed mm-hmm. uh, and found out that they were uh, wrongfully accused and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but there are those who are like they, no denying the facts that they are guilty of what they mm-hmm. did, and um, it, it, you know, they're saying it's. It's our tax money that's putting them in prison. By the way, to put them in prison for that <laughs> long, it, it takes uh-huh. a lot of money. I know, it's, I know. it's not cheap, yeah. right? And so they're saying for those that have caused really bad crime, right? Like, mm-hmm. like what what good is it to keep them alive and things like that? But I I understand how painful it would be for the victims. For example, like when your loved one is killed by someone, some criminal, or mm-hmm. it can't like you know it's hard to imagine, right? As a mother to a two year old boy, if someone does. Someone harms my baby. I'll go crazy and might do something that I can't even say out loud. Uh, yeah, well, well, live broadcast in well, return. Well, that, that was kind of like the big issue, uh-huh. like uh, not too long ago, when they found out about the, a certain kid that was adopted, yeah. right, mm-hmm. and was yes. uh, like two really, years ago. Yeah, and uh, brutally abused uh-huh. and later killed by the uh, the the, the, the step parents. Uh-huh. And a lot of people were asking for capital punishment. Like mm-hmm. it didn't come, and they were saying that even if there is like capital punishment, people were saying, "Well, what matters?" Because even if there is capital punishment, it's mm-hmm. not like they're going to be handed that uh, you know death penalty anyways. Yeah. And so that's why some other people are arguing, just get rid of it, right? It's just mm-hmm. you guys are not even going to pull off a capital punishment. What's the point of having this? But mm-hmm. it is a very interesting topic here. We're going to move on to issues related to uh, Japan's wartime forced labor. This time, a second meeting was held by government civilian consultative body. This body was founded to resolve the issue of forced labor compensation. Chizan, let's get more on this. Well, in 2018, Korea's Supreme Court ordered Japanese firms Nippon Steel and Sumitomo Metal, and now it's called Nippon Steel, to individually compensate World War II workers in forced labor lawsuit. And we have seen articles about a group of Japanese lawyers and law students urging Japanese companies to comply with the court ruling and resolve the issue of forced labor, specifically by offering a apologies and compensation to the victims. Unfortunately, as we all know, they have not. The South Korean government created a public-private consultative body to help the help solve the issue, and its first meeting was held on July 4th in Seoul. Uh, after 10 days today, a second meeting was held in the afternoon. Uh, as the two Japanese companies are refusing to comply to the court's orders, a legal process of the liquidation of the company's assets in Korea is possible, and this may happen as early as autumn this year. And what Japan worries at the moment the most is the fourth liquidation of these two companies' assets in Korea. And the Ministry of Foreign Relations in South Korea said three days earlier that he will put in work to resolve issues related to the forced labor before liquidation happens. I mean, another issue that I don't know when this is going to be resolved mm-hmm. in the first place. Mm-hmm. But uh, nevertheless, guys, thank you very much for coming in. Hey, also, thank you very much for filling in uh, last minute. Uh, stay safe, please, because of the COVID-19 situation mm-hmm. right now. And uh, we'll see you guys again. Thank see you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.